As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, welcome back to another installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. It's Friday, around 2.30 p.m. here on August 26th. We're about eight days away from the season kickoff for the Miami Hurricanes. And Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day Podcast has joined me once again to help preview the start of the season. Carlos, uh, you're, you're in the pickup line again. What are you doing? Waiting to get my daughter, man. Uh, I got here a little bit early, so I'm not at the ass end of the line. I could just get right home after I pick her up because it's Friday. And like the saying says, es viernes el cuerpo lo sabe. So I'm ready to get out of here and get going. Well, I appreciate you joining me for another uh, podcast episode. Uh, I felt also just for minute alert, just for minute alert, got a little gray growing in. But see, now I've got the the own natural salt and pepper look instead Mm -hmm. of the Santa Claus look. In a couple of weeks, about a week or two, I'm going to have to dye that up again. I like the fact that we can see the time change, by the way. It's, we, we did this a week ago. It was black. See? So this is how long it really lasts. It's about a week, roughly. Eh, a couple of weeks, yeah, more or less, before it starts growing in. Those those gray hairs are persistent, my man. They don't, they don't stop. They don't go away. Uh, speaking of gray hairs, uh, I'm curious, how many are you going to have uh, on your on your chin? Not because of old age, but because the wide receiver – uh, room doesn't seem to get their act together here. Uh, it seems like they've really been struggling to hold on to the ball throughout camp. Mario's made no secret about it. And uh, to me, that seems like the biggest question mark heading into the season. Yeah, I mean, I went from concerned to nervous to now they've got me sweating like a hooker in church on Sunday. Um, this is this is not good. It's not good. You have an elite quarterback, uh, probably the best quarterback you've had in, in, in quite a while, more than a decade, I could say that. It, you know, Brad Kaya is probably the only guy that's come close to TBD, and I think he's TBD's got better skills in terms of his overall skill set than Brad Kaya, and I think his ceiling is higher. Um, and then what you're giving him in return is you've got a receiver room that just can't operate the way he needs them to to be fully effective. You need guys that can be able to get down the field and get open. I mean, you don't necessarily have to have guys that are burners that are constantly behind the defense, but you need guys to hang on to the football. If you at least have possession guys, guys that can catch it consistently, you'll move the chains. Um, but they don't even have that right now. And that's, that's very concerning. And yes, they can get so far using the tight ends and the running backs and trying to use things and be a little bit more creative in the passing game. 
Um, but if they're driving, if they're dropping wide open balls, even if you're scheming guys up wide open, and it's not about 50 50 balls, it's just about simple catches. That's a major issue. Yeah. And, and I don't know how you fix it other than you have two warm up games, essentially, with Southern Miss and Bethune Cookman to, to get your act together before you have to go on the road uh, to College Station and play a real team, play a top 10 team. Um, Miami's look, I, I'm worried about the position uh, in the sense that I, I for sure thought Frank Ladson or Keyshawn Smith or Richard Smith or Jacoby George or somebody was going to emerge in camp. And, and this was this wasn't going to be an issue. It's still an issue coming out of camp. But I will say of all the issues, it's really the only one that I'm worried about. Yes, I'm a little concerned about the running back position depth, but. Mario Cristobal provided some good news uh, yesterday when I asked him about Don Chaney, if he thinks he'll be back at some point this season. He said, yes. He said the injury is weeks, um, not necessarily for the whole year, like it probably is for Trevante Citizen. So um, it's an injured hip for Chaney. Um, I know somebody mentioned to me that he was spotted around campus walking around with a walker uh, because I guess he, whatever, whatever procedure he had done to fix his hip, uh, you know, requires safety. Requires him to take it slow right. and easy here. But I think, you know, you can at least feel a little bit better believing, right? Mario Cristobal is saying that he will be back at some point. So let's say, for instance, uh, Don comes back at the halfway point of the year. That's better than not having him at all and just going into a season knowing you, you've got three healthy scholarship backs and and, and a couple of walk-ons that, that they like. So um, I think that's some good news. Uh, and I would say, you know, my, my other biggest concerns were you know, is the secondary going to improve? Are they going to be better at doing their job? Are they going to keep blowing coverages? I've heard nothing but great reviews from the secondary. And then linebacker, you know, Caleb Johnson has really emerged as somebody who I think they can count on, which is what they were hoping for, the kid out of UCLA that they got. Um, and then you have some other guys that are looking a lot better with a fearsome front four in front of them. Um, so uh, I think defensively Miami is going to be improved. It's the receiver position that's the one concern heading into the season. Right. And I think at this point, what you need to look towards is if these guys can't get it done in the first couple of weeks, if they can't show that consistency catching the football and specifically, specifically the guys on the outside, like Keyshawn Smith, Frank Ladson, like Jacoby George, Romello Brinson, all these guys that are burners on the outside. If they can't be consistent, then you need to adjust your approach and then get those guys in there that may not be burners, but can be more consistent catching the football like Colby Young once he gets up to speed with the playbook and Michael Redding and seeing what happens there. And then obviously using Broussard Smith as, as much as you can um, in, in a hybrid role to be able to get him the football in space. Yeah, and, and I'm pretty sure Josh Gaddis is going to do a good job of that. Uh, you know, he figured things out in his three years at Michigan, how to eventually get the offense humming the way it is. And, and if the running game is as good as they think it's going to be, um, then it's going to take some pressure off of Tyler. But, you know, um, I had a conversation with David Lake of, of 247 Sports the other day. And, you know, he asked me, he says, I'm leaning towards 10 and 2. You know, that that's his his prediction for the season. Um, and I said, you know, I was at 10 and 2. I'm kind of leaning back the other way now towards 9 and 3, 8 and 4, because it, not only the the injuries and the situation at receiver, right, for Miami, but I would say, you know, I think in some ways we've kind of underestimated some of these other ACC teams, like, like a Pittsburgh, even in North Carolina, who I know struggled last year and went 6 and 7. Um, you know, and, and Florida State, you would expect is is going to take some steps forward in year three under their under their new head coach. They went out, they got 14 transfers. So the more I've kind of learned about some of these other ACC teams and what they've actually got on paper and what they're bringing back and who's doing well in camp, et cetera, 
I'm like, I can't sit here and say, well, Miami's just going to steamroll through the ACC. I think that's the way Kelvin Harris and a lot of old school Canes always are going to look at it, right? You can just steamroll. But we know better being in this conference now, you know, since 2004, going on 18, 18 full seasons. Um, it's never been easy for Miami to get through the conference. Um, they don't just show up and blow out every ACC team they play. It's never been that way. Um, and And so I think one thing I would caution fans about is, you can have you can certainly be very excited about this upcoming season, but you also have to remember where this program was. And as good as Mario and his staff might be, better in terms in terms of what you know they bring to the table, experience, leadership, et cetera, all the things that you want out of these guys. Um, the players still have to go out there and do what they're supposed to do. And yeah, um, you know, there's a lot of unproven guys on this team. A lot of unproven guys. Right. And, and one thing is doing it in practice and scrimmages and stuff like that. And the other thing is when the lights come on, because we've seen a bunch of times when, you know, we get these pre-camp reports or these camp reports before the, before the season and we hear how great guys look and then the lights turn on and they're just lost and they're not there. Uh, some guys just can't handle that pressure when the lights come on. So it all depends. You've got to see how these guys perform in games, see how they step up. And again, yes, the frontline talent on some of these position groups might be very good, but if you're hit with an injury bug, and that second level talent isn't there, then that becomes a problem. So you're, you're a little thin in certain positions. You're deep at others. Um, the key is, can you make it throughout the season without a major injury? Can you have guys step up where they need to step up, where they weren't doing it last year? And at the same time, you know, how, how do you handle the adversity that comes with having an off game? Because they're not going to be on every game. TVD is not going to be, you know, lighting up the scoreboard every single game. He's going to have games where he throws – two or three interceptions maybe. And then that happened last season. How do you bounce back from that in-game adversity to be able to overcome and win? Um, I think the danger might also be, like I said now, is if they're, they are steamrolling early on in the ACC schedule and they get caught in a tough battle, what happens then? How do they react? You know, with this coaching staff, I imagine they'd react well, but that's something they have to overcome. Um, and again, and I wouldn't sleep on Florida State. I wouldn't sleep on Pittsburgh. I wouldn't sleep on anybody in the ACC schedule other than Duke or just, you know, those menial teams. Because at the end of the day, this team hasn't proven it in the past. I mean, they've been uh, way more talented than their ACC schedule in the past and have laid eggs left and right. And this is Mario's first year. He's trying to get this thing going, and there's only so much he can do. He can't play for these guys. He can't be the one that suits up, puts the pads on, and shows them what it's like and what the intensity level needs to be. These guys need to do it themselves. And there's still a lot of guys that are remaining from the previous coaching staff that didn't do that while they were here. Um, they haven't done that in the past. They haven't shown that that light switch is going to be consistently on. It's always been on and off. Uh, like a guy like DJ Ivy and, and guys, uh, you know, like Corey Flagg, can he do it on a consistent basis? What's that offensive line going to look like? Are they going to be more consistent? Because, yeah, they were great in pass protection last year, and they're supposed to be improved this year, but they've got to prove it. they got to prove it in the run game. They haven't shown it yet. And now with the, the lack of depth at the running back position and the situation of receiver, they're going to be counted on more heavily, and they're going to be facing different fronts now. Because the receivers can't catch the ball, which is another problem. Because what happens is when you can't get those receivers downfield, now the defenses start compressing, covering less of the field, trusting their DBs more in man because they figure, shit, if you get beat, it doesn't matter. This guy can't catch the ball. We'll run the risk, but we'll load the box and make you beat us downfield or make you move eight or nine guys out of the box when you run the football. I wrote a couple different stories this week for The Athletic, and there's other ones that I've been working on. Uh, one of them was, you know, to, to kind of get the, the gauge of the fan interest for this season. And, you know, I stopped by All Canes. Uh, I drove past Canesware a little while ago up here in, in Broward, but All Canes right there next to campus. And, and you didn't get me anything. You didn't, you didn't you get you anything, both places. Bro. I know. Give me shit. I'm, I'm terrible. 
Uh, I was there for business, business only, not for not for buying stuff. But uh, I, I talked to Harry Rothwell for a long time uh, yesterday just about what fans are sort of talking about. Obviously, all, all, all the current thoughts are on wide receiver, uh, running back. But one thing Harry brought up, and this will probably be mentioned in my story, is, you know, home attendance. And Carlos, you and I know, well, I mean, uh, Miami fans, even when this program has been great, uh, winning national championships, unless it's a top 25 team or a rival who comes to town, that stadium could be empty. And, you know, Miami season ticket sales, um, Dan Radakovich went on WQAM this week, the athletic director, the new athletic director who came over from Clemson. Um, and he said that, you know, season ticket sales are up about 6,000 uh, and there, there's about 35,000 season tickets sold. But these first two kickoffs, okay, uh, you got 3.30 against Bethune-Cookman. You got noon against Southern Miss before you have the Texas A&M game. Uh, we know the fan base. Just because a ticket's sold doesn't mean there's going to be actual bodies there. And yep. not 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 that, you know, fans fan support will, will let a team down or, or the kids won't feel it. But I, I certainly think that it's important sometimes to have that backing, right, to feel the love, to feel the support if you're a player. And, you know, Miami, yes, they hired the new football coach, um, and I expect people to be there early on. But this is the thing where if, if, if this university is going to continue to spend money and invest in football, right, like not just say, hey, we're going to throw a bunch of money at football because we have it now. We paid off the, the hospital bills and, and we can afford it. But to actually continue to invest in it, I'm talking about four or five, six years down the line, um, <laughs> they're going to need the, the fan response. And I guess my question to you is: You you probably talked to other Canes fans. You're plugged in. What are, what's what are people saying? Are they going to games? What's the response that you're getting? Yeah, like I I've talked to a bunch of people and they they told me they bought season tickets now and you know everybody's excited about the season and I've been offered tickets to games, but I mean you look at the numbers. Yeah, it only went up six thousand. Really, that's not a huge jump, and that gets you to thirty five, which is again not even half of the stadium, right. uh, or just about the half of the stadium if not a little bit less. So it's not like it's, it's a huge crowd that's, that's already guaranteed to be locked into that, even if everybody goes. Um, I have been hearing a lot of people excited about going to Bethune-Cookman. I imagine they're going to have a bigger crowd for Bethune than they would Southern Miss for two reasons. One, it's the first game of the season, the first game of the Mario era, and everybody wants to say they were at that first game under the Mario era when everything got kicked off and, and everything got turned, and, uh, turned around and, and the program got righted. Um, and the second thing is it's a noon game against Southern Miss. And uh, as you know, South Florida weather, early September, noon, not fun, not fun, <laughs> especially the early morning tailgate of having to start at 8 a.m. Not a lot of fun. I'm down with croquetas and beer, but that's always not always the best thing. Right. Well, I, I over the summer, one of my projects was looking at some of these uh, attendance figures uh, for Miami over the years. And this is just going back to 2014, the playoff era. Um. You know, in 2018, which was the last year Mark Rick was the was the coach, they averaged 61,000 fans. Um, then, obviously, in 2019, the number took a hit, went back to 43,000. Uh, then we had COVID, and then 43,000 average um, in in 2021. So, 67% um, of the stadium full for those for those games. 95% full in 2018, which. That that average sixty one thousand is probably one of the best ever for Miami. So it's not like fans won't show up. That was coming off the twenty seventeen season, right when they, right. When they had gone ten and three. So there was a lot of excitement, um, and you had some good home games that year as well. But um, I just think you know if you're a Miami fan, you're listening to this. 
my advice to you would be while Rudy Fernandez and Miami's administration is putting money into it now, I think, you know, being invested in this thing means going to games on Saturdays and showing up. And that's what's going to show them in three or four years from now, whether or not to keep investing, because whether Mario wins or not, um, like that's going to matter to them. How many, how many tickets are sold, uh, how, how, how packed the stadium is, how much influence, um, you know, the winning has. So all of that to me goes hand in hand. And, and again, look, I'm not trying to get on my soapbox here and tell everybody you got to spend hundreds of dollars on tickets every year, but go to a couple games, right? Like at least support the program in some way. Um, maybe that you have in the past. And I get it. The last two decades have sucked, right? It's been hard to be a Miami fan, a bunch of coaching turnover, et cetera. But I, I really do think that people are going to be watching and paying attention to see the gate and to see how many people show up to these games. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's a return on investment. They want to see, you know, I'm not just going to be shoveling money into an oven, right, into a furnace and letting it burn. We want to see some sort of a return, uh, some sort of a level of interest in what it is we're doing. Because if not, then what's the point? If all we're doing is throwing money into a furnace and nobody cares, nobody's coming out, even if we're winning, then what's the point? But I think, as you said, with the attendance numbers in 18, if Mario starts winning early and if this thing starts trending, you'll see as the, as the season goes on, higher attendance figures. And then obviously, if they have a successful season this season, next year, those season ticket numbers will shoot up. I think what ends up happening with, with the Miami fan base, uh, with the season ticket numbers and the attendance, is just like what happens with the Marlins, man. They've been burned so many times. They've seen... They've been up four seasons. They've been excited about the potential, the outcome. And then it, it, the product gets on the field and they just underwhelm. They disappoint. Um, and it's highly frustrating. And people think, why should I invest my money and my time and going out to these games if it's the same old story? I'm going to wait back. I'm going to wait and see to see if it's real, that this thing really has changed, if this program really is trending in a different direction. And then I'll go and I'll spend my money. And then I'll go out there to the game and do the things that I need to do to be able to be able to just attend the football game, get there early, park, do the tailgate, leave after the game, the traffic, all that stuff, just and spend time away from, you know, other things that you could be doing to be there at the stadium to root this team on. But they need to see something from the team first before they start investing that way uh, with their time. But I think they'll see it soon. I hope. You're a guy who's invested plenty of money in uh, hurricane merchandise. I've been to your house. I've seen the, uh, the purchases. Are you going to any games this year? Did you buy tickets for any game? I don't, I don't buy season tickets anymore. I haven't bought them in a long time just because I have a family and it's hard for me to go out there. Um, you know, it, it, and my wife and I go together and that's why it's hard. So, you know, she and I are, as you know, are diehard Hurricanes fans. So if we can't go together, if only one of us can go, we don't go. Um, and I, I don't like taking my, my daughter to the games yet. I've taken her to one just because, you know, how the environment could be out there. It could be a little crazy. Um, but my favorite kinds of games to go to later on in life are not the, the high-end Notre Dame, Florida State I prefer going to a Bethune game uh, because I can go tailgate, get destroyed, not remember the outcome and just be like, all right, cool. We knew we were going to win anyway. So I could just have a great time with friends at the game and enjoy it and celebrate it as it's, as it's going on. But eventually that, that leaves the short term memory and I have to read about the game the next day. Right. But those are my favorite kinds of games because it's a guaranteed win and I'm knowing what, I'm going to have a good time. Um, the other games, the more important games, I, I now prefer to watch them at home. Because I like to analyze everything that's going on. I like to be in tune with it. Um, and now that we're doing podcasts together and I'm doing my own podcast, I want to be of clear mind to be able to write notes down and, and make sure I understand everything that's going on to be able to regurgitate that later. So you're, you're a professional now. You're, you don't have time to go and get drunk with everybody else at the game. Well, listen, I, I, I get drunk at the house. 
I mean, I'm a I'm a professional home tailgater at this point. Right. I would like to be too. I would prefer to write my stories drunk. I'm sure they would come out a lot better probably than, than whatever I write sober. Um, unfortunately, that's not the that's not those aren't the people who pay the bills. If if Miller Light wants to sponsor us and uh, and and you know send me uh, send me a case before every game, I'll happily accept it. And listen, I've heard your drunken prose. It it is much better. A <laughs> um, couple of other things I wrote this week for the Athletic that'll be coming out next week. The fan story, um, but. Uh, in terms of, you know, talent, right? My how, Every year, the question I always hear, um, Carlos, is, well, we have plenty of talent. We have all these great recruiting classes, yada, 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 right? Um, well, I just finished putting one out today on blue chip ratios. Um, uh, one of the writers who who has, has done this a, a long time in terms of, like, breaking college rosters down and looking at recruiting is Bud Elliott from 247 Sports. And I know Bud, he, he worked in the state of Florida here covering recruiting in high school football for a while. Uh, and he works for 247 Sports now. And, you know, he, he put out a list um, back in July of the 15 teams that have enough talent, meaning half of their roster or more is five and four star recruits. And Miami was initially on that list. Now I m- talked to Bud, I messaged him on, on Twitter the other night and I said, Hey, when you when you do these lists, do you actually go off of the roster or do you just look at the four signing classes, right? Like the four previous signing classes? He said, No, I just look at the four previous signing classes. So obviously that doesn't take into account attrition, players who leave, transfer, right. et cetera. So I did that. I went to 247's website. I looked at every single roster. A lot of them didn't have the freshmen added in from last year yet. They had the, the holdover players, um, but it wasn't updated. So I had to update each roster. I did it for every single power five team. And uh, there's only 11 teams that have rosters better than 50% of blue chips. Um, you want to guess who the 11 are? All right. I'm going to go Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, LSU. Uh, maybe Ohio State, uh, Michigan, Texas, Texas A&M, Florida, Miami, and USC. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. 
Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, Miami's not on the list. Um, neither is LSU, and I think you said Michigan. They just missed the yeah. cut. They just missed the cut. It's Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Texas, Texas A&M, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Oregon, Clemson, Florida, and Penn State. Those are the only ones that have better than 50% uh, blue chips on their roster. And and if you, you look at the data, I mean, really, when you look at the last five schools to win national championships since the college football playoff began – Every single one of those rosters had 52% or better blue chip ratio, meaning more than half the roster, right? I mean, mm. um, and, and some of them was way high. I mean, you, you look at Alabama's roster right now, it's 87% blue chip, which is number one in the country. Ohio State is second at 79% and Georgia is at 78%. So it's just overwhelming talent. Miami, obviously, when they won national championships, had would have been the same way if we had 247 sports and all these people yeah. doing these rankings. Miami is actually 13th in the country. Um, they've got 40 blue chip players. And so they're right around 47%. One thing that I did that I kind of added to this little mix is, well, how many of these guys are true freshmen guys that just got on the college campuses? Because most of the time, true freshmen, we know don't have much of an impact. Well, 10 of Miami's 40 blue chip recruits just got on campus. So you trim that number down to 30 and all of a sudden uh, your, your veteran blue chip percentage for Miami shoots down a little bit to let's see what I got it here. 35%. Now, again, these are all percentages. These are all numbers, but it's interesting to know because we all sit here, right. And just like to say, well, Miami's got enough talent. They should, they should be one of the best teams in the country year in and year out. And yet team like Michigan is recruited just about equally with Miami and they've made what, how many college football playoffs? One last year's. So um, in the end, it's, the overwhelmingly talented teams. It's the Clemsons, it's the Ohio States, it's the Georgias, the Alabamas every single year. But it's good to know, at least going into this year, where Miami ranks. So part of my story was looking at the Coastal Division, right? Well, who else is talented in the Coastal, right? Uh, who do you think is the second most talented team? North Carolina. North Carolina, and it's overwhelming. They've got 33 blue chip players. A lot of who will be playing as, as freshmen, first and second year freshmen this year, because uh, they've got just like Miami, 10 true freshmen that are part of their blue chip uh, group. So, but some of those guys are going to get into the rotation at receiver and running back for them because they need those guys to play. But the whole point is it's kind of Miami, North Carolina from a talent perspective. And then there's a big drop off. Who do you think is the third most talented team? In the coastal. Um, Hmm. I'd lean towards Pitt, but I think I'm going to be wrong. But I'll go Pitt. It is not Pitt. 
It is Georgia Tech. That's what I thought. I, th- I was going to say Georgia Tech, and I stopped myself. <laughs> now, Georgia Tech is kind of stunning, right? Because they've had three straight three and nine seasons, but their coach went out and he picked up uh, nine guys in the transfer portal um, that were former four-star recruits from all over the place, Alabama, uh, Auburn. You know, He's got a bunch of kids from that area, from Georgia, that basically transferred back home. So Georgia Tech is the third most talented team. And then who do you think is fourth? Uh, can't be Virginia. Virginia. Oh, Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech is next on the list. They got ten yeah. uh, blue chip recruits, four of whom are are all senior elder statesmen on their defense and starters. So they're actually uh, and and if you look at the recruiting class this year, um, they don't have any four star commitments. Brent Pry, who came over from Penn State, has had a hard trouble getting players from Virginia to commit. Penn State is actually getting all those great players out of the state of Virginia. So. That's got to have to change for them if they're going to sort sort of start to turn things around. Pittsburgh is actually fifth. They've got eight blue chip commitments. They're next on the list, but that just shows you what a tremendous job Pat Narduzzi does with that team every single year where he doesn't get a bunch of blue chip kids. In fact, his his best defensive player, you could argue, Servassier Den- uh, Dennis is a two-star recruit um, out of New York. Asa Servassier. Yes. Um, you know, and, and, and Kalijah Kansi and, and Habakkuk Baldonado, the other defensive end who was like, yeah, Baldonado is a bad boy. Yeah. Both of those kids were ranked in the 800s in their respective recruiting classes. So again, this, this shows you like, yes, Miami is a more talented team on the roster, but yet this guy is maximizing the talent, uh, that they have at Pittsburgh. Virginia is next on the list. They've got seven, um, blue chippers and then Duke rounds it out with two. Um, there's only one power five team in all of college football that doesn't have a blue chip recruit. You want to guess who that is? Power all right, five. This is a, and all of power five. I'm going to say, oh shit. Vanderbilt. Incorrect. It's Washington state. The only team oh, without a blue that. chip recruit on the roster. So anyway, I, I, it's a little perspective because every year, well, we have the most talented team, right? Miami, we should win. We have the most talent. I would say right now, yes, Miami has the most talent, but you need to keep in mind that 10 of those 30 blue chippers are true freshmen and that North Carolina is just about as talented as they are uh, in terms of those blue chip elite elite kind of players. So, uh, And and Pittsburgh is the defending champion. They didn't need a lot of blue chip recruits. They just coached up really well. Anyway, it's a fun article. Check it out. It's on theathletic.com. It's a blue chip ratio story that I just put out. we do have a mailbag that we're going to get to Carlos in a couple minutes. So you can stick around for that. Another thing that I wrote this week was ranking the um, best players on the University of Miami. Did you get a chance to, to see that? I did not. I've not read uh, okay. anything this week other than legal documents, which has pissed me off. <laughs> well, I ended up writing this story on basically ranking the top 22 um, on Miami, you know, um, from every perspective, uh, just in, including units, I kind of lumped a few guys together in there because I didn't want, you know, I, it was hard for me to sort of break some ties at certain positions, but I wanted to go over it with you uh, here on the podcast because I wanted our listeners in case they, they don't subscribe to the athletic to, to get a little bit of insight from that. Um, I, well, first of all, Tyler Van Dyke is the obvious number one. I wrote that without him, I don't know that they win more than eight games this year. Um, He's number one. But if you had to pick a unit or a player, who would you put number two? Okay, an entire unit, I would probably go with the defensive line. Which is what I did. I put the entire defensive mm-hmm. line as the number two most important player on the team. 
important player slash unit. Um, obvious, a lot of depth at that position this year. I feel like that's that's really going to dictate whether or not this team is is much better defensively. I think they will be because of that defensive line. Um, number three on the list, who would you put? So we're talking about most important player, right? Or most unit. important player or unit, right? Value. I'd, I'd throw, yeah, uh, I'd throw the offensive line at three. Well, I had a couple of offensive linemen that come a little bit after this, but I, I went with Tyreek Stevenson uh, at cornerback because I do feel like he is the true number one corner on this team. I know that people are saying he's going to play the star position, and I, I don't necessarily feel that way just yet. I feel like this is a guy who came to Miami to play cornerback, and I feel like he is the best cover man that they have. And, and most Saturdays when they play a good receiver, he's going to be on the outside covering that guy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he uh, he showed what he's capable of last year, even hampered with injuries. Uh, you know, I think this year he's going to be even better. All right. Number four, I put Zion Nelson. Um, number one, because he's, I think he's their best offensive lineman. Um, I think he uh, when he comes back, he will be the left tackle and that'll shift guys into better roles on the team. Uh, number five, I went with uh, James Williams, the safety. I feel like he's probably the guy who's going to make the biggest plays for you on defense every single week, whether it's forcing fumbles, interceptions. To me, he is the playmaker in the secondary. I, I would agree that he's a playmaker in the secondary. I think he has the potential to make the most big plays. Um, both him and Avante Williams. I think Avante Williams is also a very talented guy. But I think the most consistent guy is going to be Cam Kitchens. I think mm-hmm. he's going to be the steady guy there in the secondary. The guy that's always going to – he might not be flashy. He might not be gaudy in the plays that he makes, but he's going to make every play that he gets a chance to make. Number six, I went with Jalen Rivers because I feel like in terms of being able to play multiple positions on the offensive line and being the second best offensive lineman, I think Jalen Rivers is that guy. I think he's going to be the pulling guard and a lot of you know plays in terms of the running game. Um, I think he, there's a high value with him. I think if Miami loses him again, that puts the offensive line in a precarious situation. Uh, I would say he's he's the next most valuable. Agree or disagree? Um, yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I, I don't know about top 10, but he's he's definitely going to be an important piece on that offensive line. Um, I think you're probably going to have to look at uh, maybe, man, I think Xavier Restrepo might be at six, hearing what we're hearing about the wide receivers. Well, I want uh, just because he's. <laughs> there you go. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Because he's going to have to be the guy that they that they find that consistency with. Right. I had him at seven. I put Jalen just a notch ahead of him because I think from an NFL perspective and just down the road, what he's going to mean maybe for the university. I think Jalen right, yeah. is, is, is a better player, but more valuable down the road. Um, and I think for this season, they're both look, they're both extremely valuable. Uh, Xavier, I think, has to be top 10 for that reason. And then at number eight, I went with Jalen Knighton. Uh, obviously, he's the true number one running back on this team. I think Henry Parrish is, is going to be obviously heavily involved as well. But keeping him healthy all season is going to be a huge priority. Yeah, and especially like we said, with the, the issues of wide receiver, you need to find explosive plays other in other areas. And Jalen Knight has shown that he's effective in the passing game as well as running the football. So he's going to be huge for them in the passing game this year. All right. And then number nine, I went with the tight ends. I went with Elijah Royal and Will Mallory in a tie because they're going to be on the field so much together in two tight end sets that it's sort yeah. of, uh, you know, a thunder and lightning type of uh, approach with both of those guys. I think Royal will be involved heavily in the blocking. Uh, Mallory will be catching a lot of passes, but they're both extremely valuable in this offense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. And, you know, especially like you said, the way Josh Gaddis runs this offense and now seeing that it's going to be a lot more like Michigan based on what's going on with the wide receivers. Those guys are going to be critical. 
All right. And uh, to round out the 10, you can check out the article at The Athletic if you want to read the full list. But I went with a tie. I put Cameron Kitchens and Avante Williams, the two safeties, aside from James Williams, because I think both of them have their strength. I, I look at Cam Kitchens. He's kind of the Ed Reed uh, of this defense, uh, just a guy who I think sees a lot back there. Avante is kind of a hybrid of James Williams and Cameron that he can do a little bit of both, uh, be really good in coverage and a, a big hitter. All three of those guys at safety to me are, are top 10 type players on this team. Absolutely. And which is why, you know, when you said initially a, a few shows ago when we talked about, you know, you had spoken to uh, a guy and he had said that those guys aren't going to be in the field together. Um, and then later on that change, we, we've seen comments from, uh, from Kevin Steele saying that, yeah, we're going to play them in some packages together. They don't want to give it away. Right. Those guys are going to be on the field as much as possible together because those are your three most talented defensive backs aside from Tyreek Stevenson. Uh, and I think they're, the, all three of them may, are probably more talented than Tyreek Stevenson as far as the roles that they play. Um, having those guys on the field together only makes you better. And they've shown the versatility with Cam Kitchens being able to cover in the slot and Avante Williams' athletic ability as well. James Williams being able to come, come down into the box that you could use them together and make your defense even better. Yeah, and, and in the end, nine different personnel groupings. Uh, my bet is Tyreek Stevenson and, and the other three safeties are going to be on the field probably for all of them. Uh, you don't. Take I, those I would guys. say so, at least most of them. Yeah. Um, all right, we're going to get to the mailbag. Uh, again, if you can subscribe to The Athletic, help me out. That would help. Uh, and, and certainly subscribe to the podcast here, uh, you know, at Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get it, Spotify, et cetera. And make sure that you listen to Carlos's podcast as well, the MIA All Day Pod. How's that uh, championship uh, review going? Uh, it hasn't been going lately, but I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm focused on finishing it today, and I'm going to try and put it out today or tomorrow. All right. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I want the next chapter. All right, let's get to the mailbag questions. This is from uh, Stephen Thunder, one of our favorite listeners, 56 Blacksican, as he likes to call himself on Twitter. Has Aaron Feld slept at all since he chugged that full cup of cafecito last month? I, I highly doubt it. Uh, that man coming from the Northeast down here, he's probably been used to cold brews, French press coffee. He's been used to that weak shit. He got one hit of that cafecito, boy, and he was like Pookie from New Jack City. He hasn't let it go since. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine uh, drinking that much coffee, especially now being diabetic. I'm pretty sure I'd be dead right now if uh, if that happened to me. So uh, I can't I can't drink that much coffee, especially Cuban coffee. Oof. Yes. All right, uh, this is from Andrew V underscore seventeen on Twitter. Could you see UM taking two running backs this cycle, given the injuries that have occurred in fall camp, went from being deep to thin very quickly? I don't get the sense, and you can throw your two cents in here too, Carlos. I don't get the sense that this is reactionary um, with Mario Cristobal, where all of a sudden now we're going to take two running backs because Don Chaney Jr. got hurt again. I think everything is so fluid in recruiting with guys transferring out, et cetera. I think Miami could go through the whole season just trying to sign one running back in this class and then get to January and realize two of them are leaving out the door because they don't want to be here anymore. They want playing opportunity elsewhere. And then they got to take transfers from somebody else. It's just sort of yeah. a how you go type of deal. And, and, and I don't think Mario is going to compromise his, uh, what his qualifiers are for taking a recruit just to have an additional running back on the roster to fill out a roster spot. So he's not going to go pick up a three-star just because the guy's available and he wants to come to UM to be able to have a little bit more depth in the running back room. I think he'd rather wait and see what's available in the transfer portal, pick up a veteran guy that's serviceable that he knows what he can do, um, as opposed to just you know downgrading what he looks for and just adding a body to add a body. I would venture to say that at this point, 
every year you can count on your team probably taking one running back transfer, one quarterback transfer, one wide receiver transfer, and then potentially defensive line. Because those are positions that year to year to year, um, the depth can change quickly, and you need to have depth at those positions. Offensive line is just hard to get guys in the transfer portal, quality guys. But I would say receiver, running back, quarterback, and defensive line are three areas where – or four areas, rather, that you could you could find the kind of help you need to fill out your roster. Yeah, I would add DB in there, too. There's always a bunch of DBs in the portal and guys that can play. Um, all right, this is from Lorraine, 10-Minute Manicure on Twitter. What can we do to better protect the players against serious injuries? Well, I'll say I this. Mean, it's 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 very difficult in camp, especially when you're trying to go live and do some live tackling in camp, in scrimmages. Unfortunately, this is just a very violent sport. Um, and, you know, practicing on Green Tree, it's well manicured. It's not a crappy field, um, you know. I feel like they, the, the trainers do the best that they can precautionary wise to, you know, to protect these guys. You see these guys wearing the helmet, you know, the special helmet, the padding, um, all those kind of things. But sooner or later, you have to go live. You have to get some of those live tackling yeah. and, and, and live drills in. Mario mentioned this week that they're not doing it anymore because camp is over. Um, but I, it's just bad luck sometimes. It's just part of the deal. It is. And I mean, there's, when you're having scrimmages and you're having full on contact, you know, you can't account for everything. You can't control every uh, environment. Uh, you can't control the environment completely. You can't control every factor. So sometimes things are going to happen like that. And especially when it comes to positions that are high contact positions like running back, sometimes they're just freak accidents. People get rolled up, things happen. All right. This is from Watch Me Work, Soldier Mind, Soldier underscore mind on Twitter. I want to know your thoughts about conference realignment. And if you had to choose, which do you choose, SEC or Big Ten and why? I'll let you go first. I mean, my thoughts are I think eventually it's going it's to happen. Um, at some point, there's going to be just four mega conferences or three mega conferences, whatever the case may be. Um, it may even just be two huge mega conferences between the Big Ten and SEC. To me, you know, I'd, I'd prefer to be in the SEC, obviously, because of the geographic uh, location of those schools, the the uh, the history of football within the SEC and how good the competition is. But I find it interesting to be in the Big Ten as well. I wouldn't mind. To me, the only issue would be, you know, that second half of the season in those cold weather sites, to me, reminds me of the Dolphins' bills in the 90s, where you'd have a great season and then you'd shit the bed at the end because you had to go to Buffalo, New England. <laughs> um. Look, I, I just think there's one conference for Miami, and that's the SEC. If you're going to leave the ACC, it's for the SEC. And I think it's part of it is the attendance. You talk about filling up that stadium, right, every single week. Well, if you played in the SEC, you would bring down fans from all over the southeastern part of the country to come to Miami. And I'm not saying that wouldn't happen with the Big Ten as well, but I just think there's it's there's a natural rivalry to having Miami, Alabama, Miami, Florida, Miami, Georgia, like that's something that would really, really take off. It wouldn't feel natural to have Miami, Wisconsin. It wouldn't feel natural to have. Well, especially know, since they've kicked our ass every single time we played them recently. <laughs> it just, I just think for the fans, like we talked about the fans coming to games. Are they going? Are they going to show up for Rutgers? Are they going to show up for uh, Illinois? No, but you know what? We've had we've had historic games against uh, traditional Big Ten opponents like Michigan, uh, Penn State. There have been rivalries against Big Ten teams from the past, 
Uh, and if they add Notre Dame, that would also play into that as well. So, I mean, at the end of the day, all this is speculation. This is all fantasy. Whenever it happens, it happens. Right now, what we got to deal with is the ACC. Let's go, Duke. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for that one. All right. This is from Miami Matt, Miami underscore Matt on Twitter. How many wins do you think we need to keep this class and sign the next group of young men? I'd say at least nine. At least. I, I think I think anything less than getting to the ACC championship game, you put yourself in danger of losing recruits. So whether that's nine, eight, or ten, I don't know that that matters as much as the visual of winning your division and getting to Charlotte. Well, I also think the optics of how you win the division matter also. If you back into it after a three-way tie and you've been struggling most of the season, you sort of just sort of back your way into the championship game, that's not a good look either. No, but it's better than being left out and having eight games and losing, uh, you know, right. winning eight games and going eight and four. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. All right, this is from Vic Vassell, Coach Vic4 on Twitter. Does Miami have a 1,000-yard wide receiver this year? No. Next question. Yeah, I, I don't think they have them this year, but I think they could have a 80 to 85 reception guy on this team in Xavier Strebo. I could see that. I could see Xavier getting close to the school record for catches in a season. I, I don't know. I think he's at his height. He's probably going to be somewhere around that 650, 700-yard mark, um, probably averaging about 10 yards a catch. I'd be you know, 60 to 70 catches. All right. This is the last one uh, from David Hernandez, D Hernan underscore on Twitter. Will this offense be better, worse, or almost the same as last year when it comes to production, points per game, yards per game? Last year, there was a wide receiver one, and it seems like there isn't one heading into week one. Well, do you think they averaged what they did last year? I think it was right around 31 points a game. I think they could average more. Uh, I think they could average more not because of the receivers. They'll, they'll do it in spite of the receivers, but I think schematically – um, and the way they use tight ends and running backs and the way Gaddis schemes defenses up, I think it'll be much better. All right. I think uh, your daughter's in the truck. It's probably time to go. How you doing, Sarah? Good to see you. How you guys doing? All right. Sit down. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll finish answering David's question, and then we'll wrap this up, Carlos. Um, will this offense be better, worse, or almost the same? I think they're going to be better at running the football. I think the problem is going to be passing, obviously. And if that's the case, uh, then they may not average as many points. Now, does that mean they're not going to win as much? I don't know. I think the defense is going to be a lot better. I think that's going to help them win more games. But I think production-wise, we're going to see fewer fewer passing yards probably at this point, uh, but more balance and probably more, running, more, more rushing yards for sure. Well, I think the defense will aid in scoring more points as well because you're going to get shorter fields. You might get more turnovers and things of that nature. Um, so you'll get more possessions. So I think the defense will help in that sense. And they won't be giving up long drives, as many long drives as they have in the past. So I think the offense will have the opportunity to score more points just based off that. All right. Carlos, thanks for uh, participating yet again, helping me with this uh, preseason podcast. We'll catch up again soon. Make sure you follow Carlos on Twitter. Uh, and make sure to download his uh, podcast, MIA All Day Podcast, as well. Uh, any final thoughts as we hang up here? No, man. Uh, just let's go, Canes. Ready for the season to start. All right, brother. You take care. <laughs>